up, everybody. You're listening to Neurodivergently Coaching, where neurodivergence meets coaching. Meets life and the world of work. I'm Terry. I'm Deborah. We're your co-host. We are two coaches with diverse identities who are joining forces to share our experiences within and about neurodivergence and coaching. So get ready to explore, learn, and grow with us. Neurodivergently Coaching starts now. (laughs) Hey, leaders. Today, we get real about masking, hiding in plain sight. And what does that mean for us coaches, (laughs) neurodivergent coaches? In the first episode, Deborah was sharing with us her interesting story about all the masks that she inherited. And we thought that this topic would be, you know, pretty foundational conversation about what masking even is, because we've spoken about it for every episode so far, and it might be a part of every episode going into the future. Hang on to your seat, or if you're walking, or whatever it is that you're doing while you're listening to this podcast, and join the conversation today as we continue to unmask our identities, create a courageous and vulnerable space for this journey. What's up, Deborah? Well, indeed, we thought we would follow a similar cadence that we have in our previous episodes, where we're going to look at, you know, sort of some loose definitions of how we're using the term masking, and what it looks like through our lived experiences and perspectives. And then we'll take a look at what does it look like through coach training, uh, and into sort of on the ground as coaches who we are as coaches. Like all language, it's the most important thing is, is what does it mean in the person you're in conversation with? And language is subjective and emergent. Masking is a term that is used often in neurodivergent circles. And I, I wonder how much it's used outside of neurodivergent circles, which is part of kind of how we got here today. So I want to say that maybe it's kind of akin to camouflaging. And in, in the simplest terms, it's when one's behavior is not always equal to the way one is thinking or feeling. In other words, do our behaviors match our insides? Do our externals match our internals? And I think, I, again, when we talked about like neurodiversity being all humans and neurodivergent being part of the humans in specific specific ways. I think it is also true of masking that all humans mask, right? At one time or another, we uh, act differently than we might feel. And small example of that might be we're all quiet or asked to be quiet when we walk into a library. We wouldn't behave the same way as a carnival at a carnival as we would at a funeral. And so it just talks about masking is really about our outward behavior versus how we're feeling inner. And the other thing that I want to say about masking is very often 
it, it may not cause you burnout to be quiet walking into a library, but if every moment of your life is like you're a loud person walking into a library, that could get very tiring. And that is really what we're talking about when we're talking about neurodivergent masking. We're talking about the idea that we are doing a lot of masking and in a lot of situations and that having that disconnect between your behavior and the way that you're thinking and feeling can really cause some friction and sometimes burnout. And at the same time, masking very often has a protective factor to it. Very often, if you want to read the latest magazines or library books, latest bestsellers, you walk into the library quiet, you will mask because there is a payoff for it. You know, this is kind of the delicate balance that we're talking about here today. So what might it look like? And I'll give you a couple of examples of my own life. I can tell you that because eye contact is difficult for me, um, and because we're all very awkward with eye contact in a virtual world, I would say that I don't worry too much about where I'm looking. That's a piece that is um, gotten better with work from home for me as a neurodivergent human. I usually have any number of very quiet fidget toys at my desk, things that help to calm my being. And you may just see me as a calm human being, but without having that item that I can uh, fidget with in this case today, I'm using, although I didn't show you this, this is my brand new worry stone that I have here. It's a lovely warm stone that I can hold in my hand when I'm feeling a little bit nervous. You know, these are some of the things, whereas if I were coaching in person, would I be using that? No, probably not. And yet I would probably still be sitting still. And therefore I would be masking my urge to use an object to ground me and to calm me. Over preparation that's another, it's a compensatory strategy akin to masking. And then behavioral things. I can tell you a story of in the corporate world where I, something very common that happens, you order lunch as a group and it's supposed to be even a treat. But for me, that's not a treat. That's like, that's like a mind, literal minefield. And so I can tell you one time, I decided I was going to unmask and I told my manager that I had some specific dietary requirements and the pizza came, it was delivered. And the next thing that happens is in front of my entire team, my manager threw a box of alfalfa sprouts on my desk. And even as I say that, I feel so, so sad for myself in that moment. That was, um, Without, without a doubt, that was one of the more hurtful things that happened in my career. And yet this is an everyday event for, for many, many folks um, and where I chose to unmask and 
I'll tell you what, I probably will never do that again in a group setting. I'll just quietly look after myself. And that that sometimes requires quite a lot of energy. And so, you know, when we're talking about masking, my question to myself is, do I do it? And do I do it well? And I think, do I do it? Yes. Do I mask some? Do I do it well? Probably not. (laughs) I think it's easier for me in this moment in my life, because I've been uh, self-employed and successfully self-employed for a long time. I have a, a thriving private practice. And I have been able to put myself purposefully in situations where I don't need to mask as much. And maybe I'm a little out of practice <laughs> is, is one thing, but that's kind of where I land in terms of masking some, some of my war, old war stories and uh, some of my self-acceptance and self-compassion. I've found what's right for me. What about you, Terry? Well, I'm telling you that whole preparation thing <laughs> is real. I got offered a a to facilitate a workshop and they are giving absolutely no preparation time. And it's a DEI event and I had to turn it down because they wouldn't cover preparation time and I know I'm not going to just show up and do well. That's not how I'm going to be able to succeed. And the amount of work that I have to do behind the scenes is, I'm not necessarily asking to be paid for that because I know it is extra and it's my choice, but to be acknowledged that it's things can't be done just one way. Not everyone is the same and you can't just offer everyone the same options because people are neurologically diverse, different beings. So yeah, and when you were talking about the Eden sensory, I do have a couple of ADHD clients or neurodivergent clients that are struggling with their sensitivity to eating challenges and being embarrassed in the workplace because they can't eat what everyone else is eating. They can't mask that part of their identity and they get pushback because they're not following the cultural rules of how they're supposed to perform. I have a very embarrassing unmasking story where I was hanging out with some coach friends And I remember masking, trying to mask my, actually, I didn't even think about it. It was karaoke. And (laughs) I just went on stage and I'm having a great time. And I picked a song that was really, I was feeling the lyrics and I love this song. I was so excited and I got on stage and the words were flying across the screen. And I felt just so much embarrassment because I couldn't, because I'm dyslexic, I just needed more time to read the words. And whenever I do karaoke, I do uh, Week by SWV because I have that song memorized. So regardless (laughs) 
that's a part of masking is having songs and certain things in your pocket that you have memorized because it's easier or having extra preparation. And as a woman that presents as invisible ADHD traits, and a lot of women aren't diagnosed until later in life because their presentation with ADHD and their neurodivergent identity, you can't see it on the surface. That is almost a part of my masking is the fact that you can't necessarily see my ADHD. And that's a little bit of an easier masking. I have to say though, the dyslexic identity is definitely more challenging than ADHD, especially after I became a coach because there's so many emails, there's so many writing things and facilitating of the workshops and all of that. I I need apps. I need uh, I, I need things that helps me, and working in a professional coaching organization that they value, you know, professionalism didn't really, and doesn't really sit well with me because when I hear the word professionalism, I immediately think of assimilation and that is also a form of masking. And so is code switching, which is a part of the African-American identity of what we had to do in the past and still do by changing the way we speak, our linguistics. Code switching is more about African-American verlicular and how we enunciate things to sound more appropriate or professional to the dominant culture and assimilation. <laughs> They're all so similar. Code switch and assimilation, masking, same but different. Where assimilation is a lot of people of color, they can't wear their dreads to work or to school. I love my braids and my twist and I do all different funky stuff and I put all different colors in my hair if I feel like it. And I just find that part having to fit into that professionalism is suffocating of my identity and I don't want to do it. That pushback also interferes with all of my identities because I get stereotyped and discriminated because everyone thinks leaning more towards the the visible uh the visible identity parts of me. I hope that all made sense. These three parts, the masking, code switching, and assimilation, they all involved adjusting one's behavior, language, identity to fit into a particular societal and cultural context. Yeah, I definitely definitely want to pull a couple of strings from that one. But the first thing that I want to say is like, who would have thought like when you when you when you talk about general neutral things that might be relatively neutral in society, pizza and karaoke, right? Those are like two things that 
routinely happen in society that for yeah. both of us have been, you know, I mean, <laughs> or karaoke at my pizza afternoon. <laughs> I guess all of that to say that anything that could be on the surface benign could be relatively fraught masking wise for folks who are neurodivergent. So that's one string that I wanted to pull forward. And then the whole thing about code switching in, in my reading about masking, that also came up as a, I want to say like an adjacent practice that again, has some protective factors. I attended a workshop where there was like a clip of president Obama going down a line of folks and he was code switching between like uh, one kind of handshake that would be more African-American and another that would be more white, tall politician kind of a handshake. And it was quite interesting to see even like it was so automatic for him. And again, this is like President Obama when he was in office. I, I want to say that all of these things are deeply, deeply embedded into our culture. And for us as folks who are neurodivergent, they're deeply embedded into our behaviors. And so, you know, one of the things that we do as coaches is bring forward the mirror to shed light on some of these ideas. And then the final thing that I wanted to just bring forward is the idea of how do we dress? Gosh, if that's not a mask, I, I'll even uh, say a story of, you know, as, as a trainer and a speaker speaking in front of a group of executive coaches and a coach came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I was really curious about you because you don't seem like you come from, you don't dress like you come from a corporate environment. And it kind of made me laugh in a way. Because first of all, you know, thank goodness, I felt good in the outfit I was wearing that day, because if I had any doubt, I think her comment would have destroyed me. But um, that's that emotion regulation, right? But what was going through my mind at the time was, oh, my goodness, this is the most corporate outfit I own. I, I, I hate to think what you'd think of the rest of my wardrobe different kinds of masking, different levels of masking, different awarenesses. Um, and so I'm curious to know, um, let's kind of bring it to a little bit closer to our experience as coaches. What was it? Uh, and what does it look like for you in training as a coach? I do want to take a minute to talk about the masking and the dressing because my cultural identity, if I was to pick a place that I identify with, I'm from California and California, the culture out there is California casual. As I've entered into the coaching world, I feel this need to wear blouses and be professional and look a certain way, but I just can't get away from wanting to be my casual self and wanting to express who I am, my creativity and all the pieces of me through my clothes. Yeah, there is definitely a pressure and sometimes I don't think I even own a blouse, <laughs> but I, I think Every couple of months, I think about buying blouses <laughs> and I forget about it. There will be no, there will be no blouses for me. 
nipples. Especially when I meet with coaches, I'm, I feel this pressure. I need to be in a blouse. So yeah, that's the assimilation. That's the masking of identity. That's all a part of it. Masking for me in coach training. My personality, I can be over the top, bubbly, energetically, hyperactively talking. And I tend to sometimes take up a lot of space <laughs> doing this. And I have to really mask that part of me or mask my impulsiveness to interrupt and mask this just this passionate, energetic person that is so excited to learn and to grow. And I almost like, I think I've heard you say, Deborah, you might sit on your hands in order to do this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So funny. I'm sitting on my hands right now. <laughs> I haven't found the masking tool to make me shut up. <laughs> it is just straight willpower. And a couple crystals in my hands usually keeps me busy. But coach training, again, my dyslexic identity definitely shows up. And I am using spell check. I have this new love for chat GPT and Google Chrome that reads PDF and all of these accessibility tools that help me to fit in and be able to move through this world that expects a certain norm. There's a lot of yeah, reading a lot of materials, a lot of it is different apps and my identity and really trying to avoid stress and burnout. And the new thing is this amount of stress is starting to manifest this anxiety within me, which is a part of ADHD can lead to that. And really, I think it's the unmanaged ADHD, like being undiagnosed. I was diagnosed when I was 29 and then just didn't know anything about it. And until recently, because of all the preparation and masking and all of that, it just led to so much stress. Plus diversity, equity, and inclusion work is stressful on its own. Like we're just, what, dismantling racism <laughs> and dismantling oppressive systems, that little thing. What about you, Deb? What was your, Deborah? I called you Deb again, I swear. <laughs> I'm going to use the whole word. <laughs> your training experience when it comes to masking. Again, a couple of things come to mind. So one is that my diagnosis is so recent that thinking about who was I in my initial training 17 years ago, but also who have I been in my training in my uh, continuing professional development training that's taken place until now. And I guess that the expression that comes to mind that, again, probably is in the vernacular of 
the neurodivergent community uh, may or may not be in common use is, is the idea of my too muchness. I, I think too much and too deeply. I feel too many things. I need too many guardrails in terms of what are the rules? What are the processes? I express too many things. I use myself and my extra sensory perceptions in reading cues and not reading cues, sometimes missing big cues altogether. But the idea is that I've, I've struggled with conforming in a profession that is competency-based and uses competency-based skills assessments. And so this is a probably the highest level of conformity possible in the workplace and the ways that these things are derived. And so there's always been this push and pull between who am I at my best? Who am I at my best as a coach? And who am I supposed to be? And how do I translate all of that from one to the other? That is, that's code switching for sure. Certainly not in the context you are speaking of, but it's masking and code switching. I, I have to translate your skills-based assessments and competencies into what does it look like for me as a neurodivergent human being. And then I have to consider how that jives with my client who might be a neurodivergent human being and what what serves my client best. And so all of those things are kind of have, you know, run around in my mind when it comes to coach training. The other piece of coach training that has been kind of difficult for me as a trainer and as a trainee is that I am, I'm not great at demos, even though I'm a great coach. Some of my anxiety comes in and I never know what the, what's going to be the, I like to call it exit. What's going to be my existential load on a given day, right? What's, what is going to be pulling on my masking or my attention at any given moment? What's going to be pulling on my sensory perceptions? And sometimes those things have impacted me in a demo and I've um, flubbed demos, a couple of really important ones, actually. And so again, being now in a, the kind of practice that I'm in and having made a life that works for me, more often than not, if I have to do a, do a pre-recorded demo, it did. But it, <laughs> that did not come without a lot of expensive losses. And so I'm also careful of the kind of assignments I accept where I will be doing my best in terms of being a trainer or a coach. So those are some things that I think about. And then we want to talk just kind of the final piece of this is really around what does it look like? And we've already touched on that some, but what does all of this mean to us in coaching rather than just as being trained? Yes. What does it look like? I'm going to grab from my identity as a DEI coach working with or within organizations right now. Currently, I'm more of an entrepreneur, consultant, coach, podcaster, <laughs> but I want to 
go into the whole coaching organization relationship and the masking was five times worse than it is now. I get to choose more now, whereas it wasn't a choice working with organizations and more people that you were interacting more on a daily basis. So the masking was very intense and that is where most of the burnout would happen in that space. And the anxiety and all of the different layers of my identity would show up and the emotional dysregulation and the burden, like I said, from the DEI jobs. I feel as if it was definitely greater then than it is now because now I'm choosing to participate the way I want to and what works for me versus working within an organization as a coach and masking. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about all of that and what does it mean to me in coaching? And I think I want to pull a couple of strings forward. One is having the courage myself to unmask and to show really what my life is like, what is my thinking, making that transparent? What is my feeling, especially when I have those extrasensory feelers, all of that in service of my client. And so this is to me, the highest use of self as instrument and yet there's some unlearning that I need to do in terms of how much, how much we are cautioned as coaches to keep ourselves out of the coaching and yet self as instrument in service of the client. And those two ideas are juicy and divergent and convergent and all at the same time. So there's finding that thin edge between bringing myself and unmasking and doing so in service of the client. What I have found is that the more that I bring myself, the more safety my clients feel. And more often than not, my clients are telling me that I am the first person that they have felt safe to unmask with. And that is in, in no small measure because of my own leap of faith, right? So it is, it's, it's a thin edge to watch. And then where does mindfulness come into two other pieces, mindfulness and self-compassion, right? So the extent to which I can find a way to be in mindfulness as a person who is neurodivergent, to be on a path of self-awareness and self-acceptance, and that all of those things giving me choice in the way I act and modeling that for my clients who have had, many of them have had awful experiences with mindfulness and meditation and finding ways uh, for me to 
bring it back in such a way that's not traumatic for my clients. So that's an area of specialty for me. That's an area that I have a very strong practice in and that I continually learn how to implement that with folks who are neurodivergent. And then another piece that is hard, hard work for me here is the idea of self-compassion and self-care. And it's walking that tightrope every single day and falling off it more often than not. And because, you know, gosh, I, I think about, you know, we as coaches, how do you hold that space mindfully for a client if you don't have a strong practice yourself? You know, that's one of those guardrails or rules or moral judgments that we have is that I have as an autistic person is, and it's something that I want to somehow deliver to the coaching community is the idea that this is such an important, important piece of practice for us as coaches. And I do want to pull some strings. (laughs) My ADHD brain, of course, went left when you were talking about unlearning. I just love that word, just unlearning ableist ideas. That should be an an episode title. (laughs) I'm just going to put that in the box. The self-compassion piece, what I was talking about, the D. EI, organizational work versus entrepreneur work for me. I see and passionate about what I learned from this work. And towards the end of that job was how important self-compassion as a tool is and was for me. And for other neurodivergent folks, also self-advocacy, if you're willing to disclose and advocate for yourself what it is that you need, because I started to do that too, and that was very, very helpful. But closing thoughts of who I want to be, I want to be someone that raises voices, amplifies them. And I want to also be representation. I like what you were saying, Deb, about how your clients see you out there and being that that representation of what management or health or whatever it is. Yeah, you know, being that and in a society that completely tries to constantly oppress us, oppress our identities. And not only, I guess, the society works through people, so there's oppressive people. And society's just a larger scale. So now I'm rambling because I'm ADHD and I aptly love it and I'm practicing self-compassion right now. (laughs) Deb, what about you? (laughs) I love that. I love that. And I love you. (laughs) What is my role here? It's funny talking about attention. I wrote a note to myself not 30 seconds ago. Now I don't know what it means. (laughs) But so what is my role here? My role is as a provocateur invoking conversations that need to be had. 
I'm an articulate truth teller, sometimes more articulate than not. Uh, but I'm a teller of stories that need to be told. And I know for certain, as we continue on this journey, that I am an outsider who belongs and that my voice is absolutely necessary in this dialogue. And I want to close with a quote that's anonymous, meaning I looked high and low and I could not find an author for this quote, but I loved it. So I wanted to bring it here today. And the quote is, you have the power to say that this is not how my story ends. I'm wondering what's coming up for me is, did you use this quote in the last episode? Or you like this quote so much, we're going to use it for every episode. Just wondering. (laughs) (laughs) So I could answer that by saying I used the quote when we rehearsed this episode about an hour ago. Right. <laughs> which was at this moment seems like about a hundred years ago that, fast <laughs> that that happened okay well where are we where are we where are we wrapping this up do we have a teaser i think we do have a teaser we do we have a teaser Oh, next episode, y'all, leaders, coaches, we are going to discuss intersectionality, what that means. Of course, you know, Deb is going to break that down, the definition. (laughs) The word nerd. (laughs) And I keep talking about all of these identities, or we keep talking about that walk in the room with us before many of the other identities and after. So more on intersectionality, but really focusing on it next episode. I wish you could see our costumes (laughs) (laughs) and what we're going to walk in the room with. I'm always wearing pajama pants. (laughs) (laughs) Even if I try to do a blouse, so... (laughs) There will not be any blouses on this podcast. You can be sure I have pajama pants. Check it out, Deb. (laughs) My blue leopard pajama pants. One of my favorites. Before we go, we have to give the quick reminder. We are coaches with real lived experience. Yeah, thanks for that. Terry, absolutely. With that in mind, we want you to understand that the content in this podcast is not a replacement for medical advice, uh, for diagnosis, or for treatment. And we would never want you to disregard medical advice or delay in seeking it based on anything that you've heard here. Thanks for joining us on this neurodivergent journey. And don't forget, like Deb just said, subscribe like and please share and if you are a coach connect with us at neurodivergently.com the online community that's neurodivergentlycoaching.com <laughs> thanks them <laughs> and of course we're on linkedin please follow us so until next time keep coaching neurodivergently